Hi, I'm retired NYPD Detective Vic Ferrari, and welcome to NYPD Through the Looking Glass, where you'll get unique insight into the New York City Police Department. Before we get started, please check out my Amazon author page, where you'll find my series of behind-the-scenes NYPD books for $10 paperback or $2.99 ebook download. Christmas is coming. All my books make great $10 Christmas gifts. You can have them shipped to you from Amazon. They'll be there before the holidays. And I hope, speaking of the holidays, I hope everyone has gotten their Christmas shopping done or close to it. Please, like I've said on other podcasts, it's the holidays. Don't overindulge. Don't catch yourself a DUI just before the holidays. It's not worth it. And today's episode is a bonus episode because I have 23 extra minutes on my Buzzsprout account that I won't get charged for. So I decided that I'm going to do an extra episode this week. And it's going to be a couple of stories from the holidays from my book, Let's see, where the hell is it? Confessions confessions of a Catholic high school graduate. And I took a break writing from my NYPD stories last year, and I said, you know, a lot of people ask me about my childhood and why I became a police officer and what it was like to grow up in the Bronx in the 1970s and early 80s and what Catholic high school was like. So, I, you know, I put it in a book, and it seems to be selling well, not as well as my NYPD book. So I figured with the holidays coming, I'll tell you a couple of stories from it. So, again, when I was growing up in the 70s and 80s, it was a different time. There weren't helicopter parents watching kids every move. There weren't minivans taking kids to and from school. We had to walk to school, take buses to school. There were no bicycle helmets. There were no shin things you put on when your kid gets on a bike. If you got a boo-boo, well, you got a boo-boo. You had a scrape on your knee. Your mother would put some rubbing alcohol on it and burn you and then send you back out. And when I was a kid, you know, there were no video games. So my mother, especially when we were home for like summer vacation or Christmas vacation, my mother wanted us out of the house. So she would say, all right, you know, right, right after we had our lunch or whatever, go outside and play, and I don't want to see you again. Because she had things to do. She had to do laundry and clean the house or watch her soap operas with my grandmother, whatever. So around the holidays, for me, that was a special time because every kid, I mean, Christmas time and presents, and I remember my mother and my grandmother baking cookies, and, and, and they, they would spend days writing out these Christmas cards and complaining about the people they were sending the Christmas cards to because Aunt so-and-so hadn't sent them a card, or why the hell am I sending this one a card? She hasn't sent me a card in years. It was actually kind of funny to watch like the behind-the-scenes stuff. So around the holidays, when we were off for that 10 days or whatever it was from middle school and grammar school, my brother and I were allowed out after dinner. So we usually finished dinner probably about 6 o'clock, and we had the run of the neighborhood till about 9. My parents wanted us back by 9 in the wintertime. I remember that. And so what we would do is we would eat, and all the boys would meet up in front of another boy's house. And I, I was into sports. I loved playing football and wiffle ball and baseball. And, you know, give me a ball and a stick. I was having fun. My brother and his group, were more like anarchists. They were always setting things on fire or blowing things up or, I mean, don't get me wrong, I got involved in that too, but not as much as my brother and his friends. So we used to go around the neighborhood and, you know, it was like a running group of boys. Before you knew it, there'd be like 10, 15 of us and, you know, we'd be walking around just, you know, nothing to do and getting ourselves in trouble. So my, my, there was a girl that lived a couple of blocks away, and she was in my brother's middle school class, or 
grammar school class, I forget. For whatever reason, they did not like each other. I don't know why. I've asked him a couple of times. He doesn't know why. But anyway, for whatever reason, they did not like each other. Maybe she ratted him out in school or whatever. So one night, we're walking around the neighborhood. It's the holidays. And we see this girl's house. And in front of her house, her family had this large Christmas display. It, was, it had music going. It was very well lit. And it had a nativity scene. And it was big. Like the three wise men were like three feet high or four feet high. And my brother's looking at it, and he's mumbling under his breath. And my brother's trusty sidekick was this kid we used to call Pinhead. And he was tall and thin, and he always had a short, bulk haircut. He was a nice kid, but for whatever reason, and you know how it is when you're a kid, somebody hangs a nickname on you, <laughs> that's it. It sticks with you forever. So one night, it was my brother, Pinhead, and a couple other boys. We come across this nativity scene. I'm just looking at it, and my brother goes, come on. I go, what are you going to do? He says, I'm stealing the wise men. So a bunch of us run into the front yard, my brother, Pinhead, they grab the three wise men, and we take off. And we're running down the block, and, and the cords are coming with us, and I mean, it was a terrible thing to do. I'm just, you know, going on record, it was a terrible thing to do. But now the three wise men are in the th hands of three idiots, and nobody knows what to do with these things. So we're goofing around with them, and I says, what are you going to do with them? And I think they wound up in Pinhead's basement. Well, my brother and his friends don't know what to do with the three wise men. And it kind of reminds me of a story. I know this woman who grew up in the Chicago suburbs. And as a teenager, they had a keg party in the cemetery where the guy that shot Lee Harvey Oswald, Jack Ruby, was buried. Well, a bunch of these boys get licked up. And the next thing you know, they, they rock the Jack Ruby's headstone and they steal it. They put it in a car or a van and now it winds up in someone's basement and they think it's the funniest thing in the world. Well, I guess Jack Ruby's family or someone notices the headstone's missing. The next thing you know, the police are involved and then the FBI gets involved and then the local mafia got involved and said, listen, that, that tombstone of Jack Ruby's had better turn up and a couple of days later, the, the tombstone turned back up. Well... The three wise men are sitting in Pinhead's basement, and they don't know what to do with it. And I think that they were going to return it. And then, I don't know, the girl said something to my brother. Maybe she suspected he was involved in its disappearance or whatever. The next thing you know, Pinhead and my brother saw the heads off the three wise men. And reminiscent of a mob hit, they dump the three, the, the, the three beheaded plastic wise men and their heads in the front lawn. I'm not advocating doing this. I think it was wrong, but that's just kind of the things that boys would get into in my neighborhood. And another story that I was thinking of when I was getting ready for this was there were these three brothers that we used to hang out with, and they had a rough life. Their parents were off the boat from Italy. They raised their kids a lot different than, than we were used to. I remember, like, if someone gave them money or something for the holidays, they weren't allowed to spend it. Their parents were very strict. And their parents owned a local business. And the three boys, I mean, the time they could walk were in that business and working in this business. So they really didn't have much of a social life other than when they could get out every now and then. So one night during the Christmas holidays, it's at night, and we go to their house. And they're not, the, the, the brothers aren't home. The whole family went out. I don't know whether maybe they went out to dinner or something. And they had this, it was a two-story house, and they had these long steps with wrought iron um, banister railing going up. But around the house, they had all these decorative Christmas lights wrapped around everything. 
And in the old days, it wasn't those little plastic lights that twinkled. They were those big lights. They were probably about two inches long. They were made out of glass bulbs. They were heavy duty. So uh, we're waiting around on the porch for this kid, these boys to come home. My brother and Pinhead come up with an idea. They start unscrewing them because it was cold. They start unscrewing the light bulbs and sticking them in their pockets and using them as hand warmers because we didn't have gloves or mittens back then. So what winds up happening is they start taking the bulbs off and putting them in their pockets, and then what they quickly realize is these things are great to throw. When you throw these large decorative Christmas bulbs, they pop. The next thing you know, in front of this kid, these boys' house, my brother and my friends and a couple of there's probably about seven or eight of us, we choose sides, and we've, we're having a running gun battle, and we're tossing these things at each other like they're grenades. And they're popping off. And back then, people's cars were made out of solid metal. It's not like the cars nowadays that are plastic. These, these glass bulbs are bouncing off of old Buicks and Cadillacs, and they're popping, and we're laughing, and the glass is all over the place. I'm surprised nobody came outside and gave us a kick in the ass. But anyway, we're outside throwing these bulbs in front of this kid's house. And then when we would run out of ammo, we'd run back up this kid's porch, unscrew more light bulbs, and start throwing them around at each other. And I got hit in the head a couple of times, and they pop. And then you have that stuff in your hair. Anyway, after about half hour, 45 minutes of having a gun battle in front of this kid's house, we leave. Well, the parents come home, and their lights are off. And then the next day they come outside and there's glass, green and and red and all these decorative colored glass in front of their house. So they beat the hell out of their kids because they thought they had done it. And I really felt bad for it. But like most kids, nobody took responsibility for it. And, you know, they, they got blamed for it. Another thing, as fun as that was, another thing that we used to do around the Christmas holidays, and this is terrible, but it was actually kind of funny. The week after Christmas was even more fun for us because after Christmas, everybody starts putting out their cardboard boxes with old wrapping paper. And what else goes outside on garbage night? The old Christmas trees. So we used to go around the neighborhood with matches or lighters, and we quickly figured out that these things burn up really quick. So we would go around the neighborhood and toss matches on these things or, or, and set them on fire in front of people's houses. There's no political statement or anything. We were just 13, 14 years old, and we thought it was funny to watch these things go poof. And, I mean, they did. They went up really quick. And we used to do this all the time. And for whatever reason, the, the, um, the scent of burning pine just kind of seemed to resonate with us. Well, for whatever reason, things got out of hand one night, and Pinhead decided to up the ante, and someone had left their Christmas tree in the alleyway. They hadn't gotten a chance to drag it out to the curb, and it was sitting next to their Ford Granada. So, of course, Pinhead sets it on fire and burns the side of the guy's car. I can't even imagine nowadays if kids did that, like like nowadays, especially with all the ring doorbell and video cameras and stuff. Forget it. We would have been in jail. We would have been on the news. Like I said, it was a different time. And it brings me back to something my father used to drill into our heads when we were young. My dad had gotten in trouble a couple of times with the law, which I didn't know about. That's in one of my books. But he always used to tell us there's a fine line between a good kid and a bad kid. And I always said, what do you mean? He goes, you you could do whatever you want. He says, but the day you get caught, he goes, it's going to change your life forever. He goes, and you can't go back over that line. You're going to have a criminal record and things are never going to be the same and how right he was. And what I find amazing is some 40 years later as I'm telling these stories, I feel like a hypocrite 
Because nowadays, if I saw some kid in front of my house or across the street stealing Christmas lights off the neighbor's, you know, nativity set or setting a Christmas tree on fire, I'd want to run out and give him a kick in the ass myself. It's just amazing that my brother and I shenanigans didn't wind wind up with us getting arrested or getting jammed up. But I think the big guy in the sky had a lot to do with that watching over us. So if you want to hear more about my colorful stories in my childhood, there's actually another chapter in my book called Running for Your Life. And maybe one another episode of, of this podcast, I'll, I'll go into the stories about the times we got chased by adults. Sometimes we got caught. So be sure to check out my book, Confessions of a Catholic High School Graduate. It's on Amazon. It's $10 paperback, $2.99 ebook download. And makes a great Christmas gift. And you can, and like all my books, you can preview them for free. Or if you have Kindle Unlimited, you pay that $10 subscription and you can read as many books as you want. So on this short episode, I want to thank everyone for tuning in, especially my international listeners in the UK, Ireland, Australia, and Japan. And somebody from Japan purchased my book last week, and I'm grateful. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. I never thought one of my books would reach Japan, but it has. Closer to home, I want to thank my listeners in the Bronx, that's my hometown, Denver, North Carolina, Yorktown Heights, and Blauvelt, New York, for tuning in. If you work in law enforcement and have an interesting, and if you work in law enforcement or have an interesting criminal background and would like to be a guest on the show, please drop me a note on Twitter or Instagram at VicFerrari50. You can reach me at, the, at those Twitter and Instagram addresses. And if you've got a question, if you want me something to talk about, please just reach out. And again, if you enjoy the content, check out my Amazon author page. Type in my name, Vic Ferrari Like the Car. You can preview all my books for free. And again, they make great $10 paperbacks, including my new book. And this one, I can't believe, is selling like hotcakes. NYPD, Laughing in the Line of Duty. So thank you for tuning in. And I'll have another episode hopefully out for tomorrow. Thank you, and God bless.